0: the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. <laughs>
1: This is Thomas Gazer. Today, I'm joined by Dan Dosa and William Sampson as we discuss the idea of planting your layout, dialing in a time and a place, different items from scene vehicles, and then also stay tuned after the credits. A bonus be added to. And we're recording, and we're here with Dan Dosa and William Sampson, and we're going to be discussing how to create a time and place for your layout. Maybe a term we call planting not planning as many people, planting. How do you show where your layout is located other than the name on the depot and what era or year or time you're modeling other than your locomotives and rollings? Dan, what, what's your point on that?
2: Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think there's two ways you, you plant a layout. One is, is planting it in time, and the other is planting it in locale. There's a little bit of overlap on some of these, uh, but absolutely paying attention to both will really make the layout much more impressive. So you start with the obvious, which are the trains themselves and having equipment that's correct for the area you're modeling and also the geographic region. Plausible that out here in Minnesota, we can have Delaware and Hudson cars, but not a lot of them. The bulk of our cars would be, you know, Midwest regional railroads or uh, larger railroads. You know, we would see a few Southern cars, but not a lot. And so those are tricks that, can help in terms of starting to locate our layout geographically, but also in terms of time. You know, if if it's 1995, you're not going to have 40-foot box cars with roof locks on them.
1: Bill, how do you do that on your two layouts? What's a good way that you show the Sioux Milwaukee Road and the GN in 1970?
3: Well, so uh, for the Sioux Milwaukee Road, it's it's set in 1985, and and as Dan alluded or Dan alluded to, is uh, he was mentioning. Locomotives and freight cars, uh, that's obviously a, a primary one. My dad doing 1970 uh with the Great Northern, you're seeing NP, SPNS, CB and Q, you're seeing a mutt mix of a lot of those railroads integrating themselves together, where prior to 1970, they're all separate. So that kind of does that sets it off. The locomotive schemes are mixed up. Uh the newer locomotives would be painted into BN. So Burlington Northern's gonna have uh your bright green. And then maybe some of your older equipment um, you know, obviously is a little bit dirtier. So the paint schemes themselves can kind of set that tone. Uh, myself doing the Milwaukee Road in 1985, the Bandit, which is uh, all the Milwaukee Road equipment that got mudded out with just black paint. Uh, those locomotives, they didn't show up until late 1985 into 86. So you start to see some of those things that uh, identify that merger took place. Um, and if anybody ever wants to backdate a railroad and say there's 1969, you take all your BN equipment off and you only run your GN equipment, and that signifies that you're in nineteen sixty nine. You haven't had that merger.
1: Yeah, that is a good drawing line. Mergers are always a really good drawing line, you know, if you see somebody who has even the failed ones, the SPSF mergers or you see things, especially here's like the Sioux the Milwaukee Road, you know it's post merger and you're gonna see those bandits that we all seen on the Midwest. I think that's a great way for timeline. How do you use how do you guys use vehicles for this? If someone's looking at you, William, you're really into detailing and and getting on the vehicle how do you how do you show that an era that you're modeling
3: well i think uh you know kind of like the locomotives and your freight cars uh the clean cars are going to be your new cars it might be a 1969 dodge charger well you know that car is only a year old in 1970 you're not going to be running you know cars from the 80s or the late 70s uh, my dad has done a really good job on his railroad of really he always says if anybody wants to guess the year i model just look at the vehicles and you can walk around his railroad and look and see if you can find something post 1970. Um, there is actually an American Pickers sprinter van on there currently, (laughs) but that was done in conjunction with a, uh, an Aerosmith van that I had detailed up for him. And that's sitting there and it it kind of pays homage to the uh, American Pickers episode where they found the Aerosmith van, but your vehicles themselves, I think that's a, that's a big telltale um, and obviously not having too old vehicles. He's not, um, you know, run, I'm in 1985. I'm not setting out cars from the 30s and 40s. Um, but he could get away with it in theory if they're an old truck or something of that nature. But generally, you just kind of your kind of wheelhouse is going to be the 1960s and a few 50s vehicles. And that gives you that vibe of 1970.
2: One of the things also with that is being able to get cars. So there's sort of the right color for the era. Remember reading an article from Lance Mind once. He's saying, if you're modeling in the modern era, most of your cars are going to be black, white, and silver. And, you know, that makes perfect sense. And so thinking about kind of the coloration of cars also to help anchor it nicely into a particular era. And like you said, you can get away with one or two somewhat older cars as long as it's not ridiculously out of uh, context, but You know, the trick is to try and get, I think, cars that are, ideally, the bulk of cars would be two to four years earlier than you're actually planting your layout, because most people aren't driving brand new ones.
3: Well, and to drill down a little bit more on that, uh, and Dan's point as far as the vehicles themselves, I take it so far as the license plates. It seems like a very subtle little tiny detail, but with us taking phone uh, photos with our phones so close to some of the subjects, you can see the license plates on these cars. And I actually sent Dan just some not too long ago that I printed up of Minnesota license plates that he's able to now put on his more modern day car. And it's the traditional Minnesota plate that we see a lot today. Where my dad in 1970, he's got some of the old yellow or white, um, or just a plane with the letters on it that that was the type of license plate that were used in 1970
1: in Minnesota. Yeah, you are, you're a hundred percent correct. I like, I look back to remember when. When the states almost all had different colors, you know, prior, you know, a yellow plate was Wisconsin. It was just America's Dairyland, and Minnesota had these other things. I think the color, what, what you guys hit on the color of the, goes to beyond the family automobile. I wanted to have a greyhound bus going through the town because the letterboard. I wanted the letterboard on the bus to say Duluth or Thunder Bay, because that's it's further south to invoke that you're between these points. And so I talked to our good friend, John Hodvit, who is, a, not only a master model but he's he like, he likes buses.
3: He's a bus guru. He's
1: a bus guru. He actually owns. And, and so I said, well, I've got 1969 and there's these beautiful, you know, HO scale diecast of buses. And he told me the exact one. He goes, well, you need this one, this Vista Cruiser with the yellow stripe. And I'm like, oh, because he goes, that, that was up till about 1970, 71. For, and I'm like, that's, that is just, you know, really, like you said, nailing it down. I shouldn't have the, you know, the red, white and blue ones because they didn't come in till the bicentennial, but they had this blue and this yellow stripe. So I, you know, I liked that idea. And I always look at what color were the city vehicles confined through the internet, the, the city dump trucks, the garbage, the muted, you know, most everything was white. You know, now we have all these splashes of color recycling trucks, but you look back at TV shows and everything and the guys going by in the garbage truck were this white, dirty, rusty truck. And, and that's what you got.
3: Well, that's, a, that's an interesting point on color, too. I know Bob Rivard, uh, here's a local modeler does the Sioux line and he has the Metro Transit red. That's iconic for the Metro Transit buses. And I did a lot of research and found that I'll be able to acquire the red as well. So I'm going to have to work in, uh, one of the fishbowl buses and, uh, you know, even looking at TV shows as reference points of vehicles and cars. That's a good indicator or look back at movies. Find a movie from 1985 or find a movie from the early 70s or late 60s and just take a look at the cars that are going around. Because as we know, they're not all, you know, Dodge Chargers and these, you know, Camaros with the SS, you know, package and these these super hot rods for 1969 or 70. You want to kind of get those, you know, the, the shaggin' wagons or just the real kind of classic grocery getters.
1: I think that's where I luck out in my late 60s era, I still get the cars with the wood paneling on. Isn't that exciting? Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> the station wagon. I don't even know who made those, but I find them on, you know, Shapeways. So besides cars, one of the other things I thought up was if you really want to place the time, is if you had a movie theater and the movie that's on the market. I model a real small town, so it's got one theater, one screen, and it's going to be there for four weeks. And Dan and I, we were looking at what, you know, could I have the movie MASH? No, that came out in 70s. So I got to go back to '69 and find out what would be playing in these small northern Minnesota towns. I don't know if you guys are going to have anything like that on your layout, other signage, but well, I would that would include you, that with billboards too. If you
2: well, you you hit it on the on the head. Any kind of advertising signage, trying to keep it to the right era and to the appropriate medium. I know if you're modeling in the '30s, you could have bills posted all over, basically any. Flat surface that faced a road where people were walking because they post them all over the place there. But if you're doing a modern era, those things aren't around, so you'd you'd have a different type of advertisements. You wouldn't be, you know, advertising Clapper Girl powder, um, baking powder. You'd be advertising something different, and so keeping not only the era specific, but also the the content. You could do, for example, if you wanted to do a beer. And you could do grain belt up here and everybody knows grain belts or perhaps blue ribbon. Those things would really add. Yeah, perhaps the dimension of planting the, the, the locale more, give it the local flavor. But also, you know, it's, it's not likely that in downtown Minneapolis, you're going to see a billboard for case tractor. You know, if you're modeling a rural location, maybe you would, but, uh, just thinking in those, those terms of what was around. And Will said it actually about looking at, at uh shows and also to me going online, local historical societies, photographs, look at what the places that you're modeling. It doesn't have to be exact,
3: but in that vicinity. What what did the world look like at that well, point? To Back off of that, Dan. It's uh Looking at magazines, get a magazine from the 1980s, get a magazine from the 1970s. I'm a graphic designer by trade, so I like, I look at fonts, I look at colors, I look at pictures, I look at graphics. There's so much technology in today's advertisement that we don't see that stuff that we see today, 20, 30, 40, you know, 50 years ago. You don't see that type of technique used. A lot of the stuff was hand drawn. A lot of the stuff had a look to it that said 70s or it said 80s. And uh I find that just finding an old sports illustrator, find an old magazine that it's got cigarette ads, it's got beer ads, that flavor and look that they put in print was the similar type of stuff that you're going to see up on billboards. And a lot of times you Excellent. might be able to scale that stuff down or cut it out and put it up on a poster outside a building or put it on a billboard, find photos from the era. I know um there's a shot, I think, off of Snelling, uh, I want to say it's Snelling and University or S- Snelling in '94. That it's they got a billboard. It's the Minnesota transfer that runs along there. If uh, it's either Greg Smith or Bob Rivard that took the photo, but you see the billboard in the background, and it is 19. I want to say 1984, but it's got an old cigarette ad up there. And to me, I'm just trying to emulate that. And you can lay it out maybe on you know your computer. But if you can find a magazine ad or something of that nature, cut it out, scale it down, and put that piece in, and have a period correct item.
1: I think that's a a really cool idea. I've never thought about that. Magazines going, who is advertising? But I, you know, use that for a billboard. I also like using the billboards to drag people into your scene. And if you you're advertising the local radio station, or you're advertising, you know, really the Minnesota State Fair for 1982 has got these acts and things like that. Have you guys what other like types of billboards and signage could you use to place the location and the era? Well, I think anything
2: that is businesses specific to your area, you know, quick searches online, a lot of times you can come up with advertising materials you know, from years past, you know, use those directly or use those as inspiration to create your own. And I think there's there's a lot of that. Like I, I've always used the example with Utah, you know, if, if I modeled Cleveland in the 1970s, I would have ads for Tokyo Shapiro. Now Nobody up here would know Tokyo Shapiro. But if you grew up in Cleveland in the seventies, you know, that was the stereo store and they had ads all over the things like that. You can use that, you know, it doesn't say, you know, you're, you're in Cleveland, Ohio on West
3: 25th street, but it says you're in, you're in Cleveland in the seventies. Want to piggyback off of you a little bit, Dan, um, in terms of our railroads and, and logos. So a graphic designer, again, we're going to pick on logos a little bit. Now, Dan models uh the Minnesota commercial in the more modern day uh ADM, which is Archer Daniels Midland. They have a logo that in today's world is kind of a triangular shape with a leaf. Well, in my era, it's actually kind of referred to the atom. It's got this symbol that looks more like a, an atom. And that's what ADM used. And your freight cars are going to have that. So I even look at freight cars that come out. And ADM, it might be an ADM car. It actually might be an older car, but it was painted with the newer logo. So that one doesn't work for me because that logo is too new. Uh, on the buildings outside, you're going to have, the, obviously, the logo out there. Cargill had an older logo. If you're using that older Cargill logo, that's going to set your date even further back versus having the more modern one that we might be just generally used to seeing Uh in the case of ADM. We're both modeling uh the Hiawatha Elevator District that runs uh kind of north and south here, just south of the Minneapolis and that that business and that company has been there for you know probably 60 70 some years and it's got the same name on it but we're the same building is going to have a different look to it just based on the logo you put on outside.
1: Yes. Yeah I agree with the logos cuz you think about ADM and then you think of other ones like that have been here forever like Budweiser how many times is their logo Kentucky fried chicken miller beer even GE and Chevy Ford or you know I think logos are, like you said earlier fonts That if you're modeling in the sixties, you only only use certain fonts to bring out whatever new jazzy thing was going on. Yeah, I I like the idea of doing logo research that this is, this is a really nice ADM logo with the molecules. I can't have it. You know, I have to have, or I shouldn't have. (laughs) The other one
2: is the people you put on your layout, paying attention to the clothing, uh, and, and the particular styles. And maybe the biggest single thing there to me. Is how your railroad personnel look,
3: having the safety vest.
2: Having safety vests, you know that that takes you into a modern era. You know when a whimsical old uh, engineer and conductor don't take you into a modern era. They're they're from a uh, from a past era.
1: Yeah, the safety vest. We didn't even have them when I started. Only the new guys were distinguished. Anybody in training had to have a vest. And then I remember when the when the Canadian Pacific started getting vests, we we're like, ha ha. And then all of a sudden, now we have them, and everybody <laughs> has them. But but yeah, that's a late 2010 thing for for us and things like so. Like even you know into the 2000s, 1995, railroaders weren't wearing vests; they were wearing jeans, probably some overalls, a baseball cap, gloves, and boots, and and really muted tones. There was a lot of lot of flannel, you know, in and fall and winter. And, I think that's a that's a really interesting thing for railroad crew. And it's tough to find now too because manufacturers love to make, as Dan said, the whimsical crew, the guy with the shovel and the ascot and everything. Or they make the real modern one with the vests and the radio and, and I'm like, Well, where's where's the nineteen sixty guy <laughs> with his cromer cap and yeah, I Point think out. the crews on the railroad is a big especially the guys working on track is a big showcase of what era you're narrowing it down
3: to? And when you're looking at trackside like that, um, to even go beyond the people that are there, you can even take it as far as looking at trees. Uh, you know, Tom, you're obviously looking at the Northern Minnesota. You're going to see more evergreens. Um, that, that feel, it feels like Northern Minnesota opposed to, you know, a Southern state that might just have a more of a, a dry look or, you know, more deciduous type trees. The, the tree and the actual personality of the surrounding environment can even be set by a lot of times just those stru- those distant trees, whether it's your background or one that you uh, you build yourself and plant.
2: And I think that's really important. You know, u- using using the, the geography, the foliage, uh, those, those things can do a lot. Integrate the scene in and plant your layout. And that's one of the things I really like with looking at Tom's layout is that, His forest portions have a Minnesota feel. They're mostly pine and fir trees with a little smattering of of birch trees in there. And that feels right if you've driven along the North Shore.
1: Yeah, I think vegetation is huge. Like I I was making a note, like William said, I'm trying to portray northern Minnesota. So I have pine and birch and scrubs. You walk into someone's layout and there's palm trees. You're like, okay, I kind of know where I am. There's cactus. I kind of know where I am. Or the pine trees. Are 200 feet tall, I I think we're in the Pacific Northwest. You you kind of, the vegetation should bring you into that type of environment. Like, okay, now I kind of know the location. Let me look around and see what year it is. Is there steam engines or Baldwin diesels, a a gen set? I don't know. But yeah, I think you're right on on the vegetation, right down to where I was planting, trying to plant the right colors of flowers, wildflowers, the purple lupines and things like that. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Willie. That is a huge location setter is the vegetation that you just don't have woodland scenic trees all over and ground full you're not given the indication of the everglades maine california coast etc
3: well when you say woodland scenic and it's kind of the color I, i find my dad he does spring of 1970 i'm kind of doing a little bit more summer but the actual color of the greenery that you choose there's some stuff that's out there that's really iridescent it's got a real kind of a neon glow to it and that that might be really really fresh spring but kind of getting a color palette that gives that vibe. If you're even kind of trying to pitch, are you just pitching spring? Are you doing fall? Are you doing autumn? Um, I know in Dan's case, we're kind of in a little bit of a concrete jungle where the majority of the elevator district, uh, has mostly concrete and just a lot of stuff that's on the ground in the surrounding area. Uh, but to pick, piggyback off of this, um, stuff around the environment, Tom, you've done a really nice job along the track side as an engineer. You're seeing stuff that traditional people that are, you know, just Looking at trains or rail fanning, they don't see, uh, sometimes it's the stuff that's laying rail side or how it lays there because you really position stuff from a detail standpoint that it gives that vibe of the way it was, the way they may have left stuff and material. Uh, you're seeing it today, but they also would have had it similar back in the day and how they might have stacked rail or how it was transported, uh, how lumber was transported. There's just a lot of little different nuances that can be found even in some of those elements.
1: You, you're exactly right. I talked to. The track guys, because I see it, see the things I'm like, okay, there's a tie pile and rail pile. If you go back from, you know, here we are 2021 back to when the railroads employed more and more people and less and less machines, the piles of ties and piles of rails were actually neater, you know, because they had supervisors and in your, your group covered less area. You know, you had a section gang that maybe covered 25, 30 miles, and the boss of that wanted to press it. So if you had tie piles and rail piles around, he wanted them neat. So when the supervisors came through, the guys guys would actually tell me they'd get yelled at if they weren't right. Now you have a crew of five that has to cover 130 miles. They don't have the time for that. The ties get stacked where we can grab them with a claw machine, you know, instead of nice and neat where two or three guys have to get. So, yeah, you're exactly right that how you place your physical items next to your rail will show off the era that you're in based on how, how much manpower you have for that railroad in that
2: area. You know, related to that also is something that you've talked about, Tom, which is just the track itself, having places where track has been removed or a switch has been partially torn out, things like that, that offer a sense of history to the area, the era that you're modeling and, and show the passage of time rather than Every, every piece of right away has a track on it, and every piece of track is working, and every piece of track is tied to an active industry. Those things can be also used to set air up and sometimes to set
1: locale. I think what, that's what, what? Model, modeling by omission is kind of an neat thing. Okay, William, what did you say there?
3: I was just going to say, just to, to to look at this as, uh, you know, some listeners might even go, boy, you guys are just digging into the deepest hole I can possibly imagine from a detail <laughs> standpoint I could care less about a, a exact era, but one thing I do note, and this is away from the railroad, is it actually helps aid your pocketbook. If you do kind of nail in a time or an era, I can cut off a 1985 and anything that's, you know, 87 and on or 86 and on, I don't have to necessarily even kind of look at. So it, it does help off the railroad as well. Um, but one thing on, and speaking of roads, is uh, the road crossings themselves being wood to concrete, to the composite version. I mean, there's a lot of different types of crossings that we have on our railroads. But I don't know for yourself, Tom, and, and again, this goes from experience of what you actually see, because you see probably older crossings that you go across. Um, where is that uh, that wood version versus concrete versus the composite? Do you, do you see that in terms of, for you, 1969, or even you, um, Dan, being more modern, the type of crossing that is at the road? Your question was the crossings, correct? Yep.
1: Yeah, I would I would think that that would set the era, whether you have concrete plates or wooden planks or tar or dirt, let alone the signage at your crossing and how high tech. You guys know in the Hiawatha line, there's overhead lights and everything. Well, that wouldn't have been back in the 70s or 60s. Yeah, we are digging down into the deep, but that's what brings your visitors and operators into 1985 on 35th you know, Avenue there, Elevator T. I, I think you're hitting that right on the head all those little things add up to bringing you into that scene i think that that actually is
2: a really important point because what what will alluded to and what you basically says well why why would you want to do and it really does draw you into the scene it creates the story it's the background for the story to unfold and your trains then star in that story it's really it's really enjoyable to be able to do that with bringing kind of the whole picture together.
3: And I think that's what's fun. I like the history. I like the research. I like the, you know, these little elements that you can add as a modeler. You know, it's not, it might not be for everybody, but for people that start to kind of dial into it, it becomes almost kind of an obsession. It's like, well, I can't have that. And I just, I omit it, or I can modify this, or I can add that. Um, They're just little elements that you can drill down onto and actually have that added to your railroad that somebody looks at it and you know my elevators are almost four or five feet in length and some people say well i don't have the space for that well i'm not working in a large space i'm in a 12 by 14 room it's about a you know 13 inches deep to set the scene to set the the vibe the look um, i've seen photos if you look up any of the photos dan has shared of his railroad and if you know the area He's got the look and feel in the Colmus. That mill, it's got the look and feel, but the textures, the signage, the little things he's been putting in there, the vehicle choices, and again, the road crossings, the condition of the roads. I mean, that too, that's a little rougher. The roads themselves weren't necessarily, you know, pedicured and just beautiful. They kind of got cracked up and are in in a little bit rougher shape.
1: That's a working man's road there. But you also (laughs) hit it with the money by focusing, I think not let alone focusing on a prototype, but focusing on a year. By omitting things, it helps your this modeling ADHD. Hey, I really like those double stack cars. I can't have them. You know, I shouldn't have them. I, you know, I really like those auto racks. I shouldn't have them. I need Hiawatha District, former Milwaukee Road cars. You know, those older Sioux, Sioux line cars, things like that. It does help with your with your with your finances and your time, which once again I'll stress is always my most valuable. I can't waste my time hunting down auto racks and double stack when I need grain cars or. Boxcars, my
3: million. Or perfect flashing beacons on top of your locomotive. Perfect. Thing. That's, <laughs> yeah. a de- that's a detail. I'd even pick out a little bit more. Um, you know, when you look at your actual locomotives, there's so many different settings that our decoders can have. We can, we can set a stratolite, a double flash, single flash, rotary beacon. Um, the ones I was referencing that Tom had was, uh, they're no longer being made, but it's four LED lights that would flash in sequence and it sets off that. I think it's, a, is it an RB1? Yeah. That beacon is, I, it's iconic. It is, it's cool. I mean, you've got it on your locomotives. When when you look at it, that's, that's that style of beacon and you know it. It's not, it's not the modern flashing that you have today where it's just a strobe.
1: It's not a ditch light and it's not a single light like the one I watched you rebuild on your video where a piece of metal blocks it out. It's, it's like different lights. Yeah. Yeah. All that sets era pre-ditch lights, you know, set an era and, and modeling even in your DCC. What you have for those sounds and what you can have, unless you model a museum like the Minnesota commercial. (laughs) (laughs) A working man's museum. Yeah, I like all those things. And I, I, you know, I was also thinking about you look at little things like businesses. Do you, do you have a paper boy or do you have a newsstand or do you got a paper box? Do you have a phone bank or do you have a phone booth or do you have a little lean in thing or are, you know, are you in the cell phone age? I I like, I like all that.
2: Speaking of that, Repurposing building. A lot of buildings, uh, are no longer used in the way they were before. Now they're a totally different building. Modeling that, taking, you know, you take a, um, an old, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant and now it's a coffee shop. It's been repainted. It's been repurposed. It's now it now Sam and Sarah's coffee shop. Things like that that you can do, taking a, a stock building, adding sections to it to reflect the passage of time and the fact that Whoever owns it now decided they needed a little extra space. And so they added on a different material of building, looking at what's what's common in your era, and but also in your area. I know one of the things I see a lot of here in the Twin Cities are buildings with either the brick on the sides of the, the older buildings is painted white or the brick on the sides of the buildings are that kind of yellow fire brick, which I assume was cheaper and only the front is red brick. Things like that. Uh, there's a lot of little you know tricks you can do with your buildings. Um you and I had talked earlier, Tom, one of the things if you're modeling the 1920s and you're modeling a city, be prepared if you really want to do it right to spend a fortune on fire escapes. And you're gonna have no. a lot of fire escapes on building. Not just one, not not just one, but they're gonna be multiple fire escapes on building. Uh, so things like that. Um, you know, little things you're modeling a residential area, do you have TV
3: antennas? Well, if it's 1960, you darn well better. Well, the nice thing, I think, too, about a detail element that can be changed out, Tom, I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. Uh, when I went and operated at your place, this is where I didn't pay attention to the details, but you do have a little industry or a, a, what we're going to just call it a business on Main Street there that the ladies work there and the guys tend to go there after a few wobbly pops. And uh, on the building it had my wife's name that she was working that night. And I didn't pick up on it until, Tom, you pointed it out. But you can change things out, whether it's who's working at the uh, particular club that night or if it's the movie that's going to be playing. Now I know I go to Tom's place. I'm going to take a look at see who's working. I'm going to take a look at seeing what movie's playing. I'm going to want to see the name of the boat that's going to be in because he has oar boats, and uh, it changes. So what's the name of the oar boat? Um, Those little elements that you can change out to entertain maybe the more regular modeler. Or even kind of get the new guy.
1: Yes. Yep. I, I think that's important, too, to change out your theater or your signage or update to add a sale or add a new. Yes, William, yeah. I, I agree that that building can change a lot of things. I, I even changed the signs to a smelt fry, which is very regional along the North Shore Lake Superior. You know, if they're going to have a Friday fish fry, of course, it's going to be a smelt. And And I think little things like that I can have with my era, I get. I call it the politically incorrect, I'm going to have a furrier and a vault. You know, where back then people bought fur coats and hats and mink stoles. It was commonplace. It wasn't politically incorrect if that was even invented. But yeah, I, I agree if you add these little details for people to find. Dan has a wonderful thing on, he actually like from you, William, on the door, he has elevator T, General Mills, and the address. And I know you've done this on a number of your buildings too. I've seen where you where your post office truck and this is parked. But I think that's what really draws everybody in. That's what nails it down. And that's where, like I said, you're going to have certain structure, such as like like what I've got there with my signage and what Dan says repurposed. I can have a photo mat in nineteen eighty five you're not going to have a photo mat. it's a coffee shop, you know I don't know <laughs> if that's you know like I, I you know like we look at buildings in northeast and they you can see the original building was wood and then then they went to brick and then the third part is steel, but it's all one structure and that gives a sense so let's talk about place and and some of the things I nailed down about place were like actual freeway signage, and I don't mean. You know, like, welcome to Pleasantville. But I ha- I like the little green signs that say Hinkley 10 miles, Duluth 50 miles, Thunder Bay. You know, have you guys ever seen those or any other signage that you would think would show a location?
3: Well, maybe not location, but I do know they, um, the color of, like, the stop signs. Sometimes they're yellow. Ooh. Sometimes they're red. Sometimes street signs that are white are now modern day is yellow. And, and even more modern day is that neon yellow. But for markers going into a town or a city... Uh, guys that I've seen that have done a little iconic, whether it's a fish that's out front, that's representative of, you know, a certain town, or if it's the the jumping deer that has, if that's Deerwood, I think it's Deerwood, Minnesota, they've got the the deer jumping and you've got some of those landmarks. So how about a landmark structure and, uh, you know, whether maybe it's even a lighthouse or something that that signifies that particular, you know, iconic landmark that you put on your railroad. And it may not necessarily have to be right where it would logistically be in real life, but the person, they add it there just to signify, oh, okay, yeah, Northern Minnesota, it's got Split Rock Lighthouse, got it.
2: And those buildings, structures like that, I think can be foreground, but they can also be background. You You can take a particularly iconic structure in your area and make a photo of it and have that as part of the background. Conceivably, if... You know, if I was going back and modeling Minneapolis and let's say, let's say the 50s, uh, you know, I, I'd want to have find a photograph of the IDS tower to have in the background. So you could be looking at a skyline, you'd see different buildings, and wouldn't have to be perfect. But if the IDS tower is there, you're gonna say, Oh, that's Minneapolis. Or if you took St. Paul and you had the first bank building over there, those are things that would really help to anchor the scene, and they can just be a photograph on your backdrop.
1: Do you think in a smaller town, let's say you're modeling, you know, a smaller town, if you could even have the name of the church, the, you know, Ackley Presbyterian or something like this, or Pipestones, First Baptist, and so on. You know, some of those things, I think, help plant you where, you know, where you are, let alone, I think the one sign I do, I have typical one that says, welcome to Agate Bay, but I also have, you know, like the Agate Bay Rotary, the Agate Bay L- Lions and the, Agate, you know, the JC's that, you know, join and then things like that, that kind of plant put you in that town or in that city. I think those are good signs. I thought of too, also like, if you look at what everybody has is gasoline, I think the prices that you have for gas and the price, and then does the gas station offer service or is it just a snack bar, like modern stuff now? I don't know if, I'm trying to remember when the gas wars were going on. If you're, was that late middle '70s, William?
3: I, don't I think... think that's the mid '70s because um, yeah. I was just even on the the gas prices themselves. Or it goes back to the car type. You get the yeah. more of the econo cars. You get the um, The smaller little, you know, the VW rabbits and the, the small cars that that came out because of that gas, you know, inflection that was taking place in the 70s. Uh, but even going back to the gas stations themselves, my dad, I've got an uncle that worked for, he had his own Union 76 station. Well, when my dad was younger, it was a pure oil station. So pure oil became Union 76 that then eventually gets eaten up by another commodity, But those those even set the the tone gas stations that no longer around pure oil. My dad has on his GN in 1970 to pay the homage to my Uncle Dick. But having that there says pure oil, that's no longer here, but that sets a time. And as you move forward in your progression, we're not going to see Super America or Speedway or Quick Trip or any of those type of gas stations in 1969 or 1970.
1: No. Yeah. But you will see the pure and the Sinclair. And I think pay attention to the logos the Shell logos and what Standard Oil was, and they were, yeah, they were all different. I mean, there were so many, so many different back then.
3: Well, even vending machines. If you go to, you go to gas stations. The vending machines that are out in front of your little buildings you guys had styles that it was. You put the coin in and you lifted the lid and you could pull one out, or the door opened and you could only pull one from the chamber. And as they got newer, they became the lit versions that just were the can dispenser instead of a bottle dispenser. And I mean, that's a very subtle little detail. But to put those type out in front of a building or out in front of a gas station kind of says, if it's got a cigarette machine sitting next to, you know, a pop machine that's got bottles. Well, that's definitely going to be a lot older than something that's, you know, more modern.
1: Yeah, cigarette machines are something I've definitely looked into having some 3D printed because that such prevalence in that era. Yes. You know, that you just a 75 cents or a couple bucks, quarter, you know, and guys would go get their smokes. Unheard of today. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that really sets the era. You know, you could eat like Dan said, you could even have cigarette billboards. You can't have any of that. But I liked I liked earlier you said Dan about omission and tracks. And that's what I feel a lot of people have a tough time doing. Because if they could put an industry in there, I think moderators want to put an industry rather than show the switches torn out in what used to be. I know you're going to do that for your Eureka, the recycling center. And I've done it in a couple of places where the mines have shifted tracks and the railroad shifted tracks. Even in the short, you know, 15 years that my layout's been around, they've moved tracks. And I don't know if you guys can or can't do that on the Hiawatha district. I know, William, you incorporated the crossover, but I think like where Dan is modeling, that's been pulled up. the The diamond... Yep. Instead of the crossover. And I guess it's been laying there in the side of the weeds for a while. So You could model things like that that show the passage time. This isn't the 40s and we're down to this branch line serves these three large, not these 15.
3: Well, even at the end of tracks where tracks come to an end, I've got a few that the industry no longer went beyond the actual elevator and it just kind of disappears into the weeds. Um, but they were using piles of um, ballast as their end stops instead of actual end stops they just got a big huge pile of ballast there and that's the end of the line or the end of that particular track i guess when you go back into maybe the 50s the 60s and maybe even into the 70s it seemed as though they they had more of the actual metal you know end stops at the end of a track than it would just be just pour a pile of ballast there and that's going to be the end of that particular line
1: i'm sure i'm sure safety or the fra came into there sometime you know adding derails and even locks on switches would be would be a time and a place okay so anything else you guys want to add we had vehicles buildings signs locations. i was talking to like the, who, i don't know who brought up people but i think if you're careful where you color them like in my era the men would have hats and the women would still predominantly be in dresses in in the late 60s and I, I think that's important of, of the tones and the colors that you paint the co- the clothing on the people you know i'm always looking for guys with hats and that if, and that might even be your railroad workers too of hard hats you know you look at every. would they be even wearing hard hats in most occupations on the railroad probably
3: not well I find a lot of the guys I look at videos again and it's the billboard trucker hat that big tall 1980s oh. hat oh, yeah. and they're wearing they're wearing that kind of silky jacket with the tight wristbands and it's 80s. I mean, it says 80s to me, but that look when I paint my characters, I've actually used some small decals to put on the backs of their jackets that had the Sioux speed lettering because they were wearing the kind of company jacket. They might have gotten that somewhere along the line. And, and then the hat is a, a BN employee, that's got the big, tall BN billboard hat and it, <laughs> it screams 1980. Yeah. So what I do is that a lot of times will either add extra, you know, material on top of their head, whether it's plastic, and then start to kind of file away at it. And don't make it too, you know, obnoxious, but you want to kind of emphasize that the guy's got that that billboard ball cap versus that kind of the smaller, you know, cloth hat that a lot of engineers uh, you know, might have been known to wear that have the polka dots on them, or they got the stripes. And even if you're doing that, paint your guy up, and then put take a little pin and put the polka dots on the hat. Seems tedious, but if you got him in sitting in the cab, and a guy looks in there, be like, "Oh, what the heck? Guy's got the uh, you know he's got a hat on, just like they used to wear."
1: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 classic. I love that big baseball cap because you're right; they were those slick kind of. I suppose we call them windbreakers now. Yes, but they they might have had a fleece lining and. If they didn't say Sue on the back, they said, they said nothing. You know, nowadays everybody's advertising everything, you know, everything on their hats, but there was a lot of just plain baseball hats. You said BN or whatever Joe's implements. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> anything stylish like shoe companies and your favorite athlete or yeah, I'll, you'll have to teach me how you make those baseball hats. I'd like to see that. You know, I look at the, like you're in your, your back, your Bob Revard videos are perfect for that era. You know, because that's what those guys wore, those. You know,
3: well, let me let me ask you guys this do you guys put so uh, a fellow modeler pointed out, uh, you know, him, you know, him as Spoon, but uh, Mike Ostertag says he doesn't like people in the cab. And I, I can, I can agree with him because more often than not, you're not going to necessarily see the people in the cab. But if it's the lead unit, he goes, okay, I can let that go. But would you guys add crews to your, your models and take the time if you've got a locomotive apart to put the people in them? For me, it depends on the unit and how easy it's going to be.
1: I, I think I would like to. I, I've always, you know, making my videos and photo, doing my photos. And I think I get, I get carried away putting it back together and hoping everything fits in there. The decoder, the speaker, the current keeper that, that I forget to carve out that window. Because I've seen most guys have people in the cab, but I can't see them. Sure. And I think, like, if I had a guy leaning, like an engineer leaning out, looking back, that would make some interesting photos if I could change it. I'd be much more interested in having conductors or switchmen riding the bottom step or the pilot or a freight car rather than seeing the guy in the cab. Because even nowadays, you I don't know, you guys have seen me up on the road in the beginning. No one can see you in engines unless you got your window open and you're basically leaning out. Yeah, I'm not a big fan you know, a big fan of it. I I wouldn't mind it, but I'm trying to think who does that. They have people Atlas, I think has little figures I've painted up. And then when I put it back together, you can't see them.
3: Well, to take them then to your you vehicles, know? the cars that you put on your railroad, the people that are sitting at the crossing, well, the guy must've just hopped out and ran to the <laughs> cafe because there's nobody yeah. in that
1: car. God, never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the cars I would put them in because it's cars I think are more glass and as layout as you're looking down into them or convertibles convertibles or or like passenger train in your dome car and i always my trick was always to paint the people in the passenger trains brighter and i'd paint the interior of the passenger cars white to reflect whether they were white or not in prototype i just wanted to reflect it oh here comes the north coast limited oh you can see people in the sure sure but yeah the automobiles you're very brave. I have to watch some more on how you take them apart and put on better wheels and things because that's an art. That's an absolute art, you know, and I, and I think that's what sets your sumo walk your road apart from so many other layouts is the mail truck and the little family vans and, and the right tires and the right license. It's a lot of work, but Dan and I have this term, Dan will back me up on this. We call that the sizzle. You know, it's it's the old salesman. I can't sell the steak. I can sell the sizzle, and that's <laughs> what that is. That's what this is, really. You know, is the right license plate, the guy in there, the guy with the right hat. To me, I, that's the sizzle that you get to on this part of your railroad. Dan I is. Call, I call
3: that the tangent. I end the, up on oh, a tangent. Oh, <laughs> shiny <laughs> objects. Yeah, but, but what one of those things is, is? Is there a quick two minute to five minute adjustment? Sometimes, sometimes it's just putting a little black paint in the grill. Sometimes it is just swapping out wheels. But they're just little things that can be done. Where if I come downstairs and I look at something, I'm like, what can I do? Well, do I want to dive into a decoder install? No, I'll I'll grab a vehicle and and detail that and then set it aside. And then after you've done a number of them, it starts to set a scene and, you know, you slowly kind of chip away. I show my dad occasionally how he can do it on his. And the next thing you know, he's slowly chipping away and the look, you don't have that bright chrome grill on that car anymore. You've added that little bit of black paint in the grill and now you've just knocked back that sheen. And much do you say like you put the people brighter in the interior to draw people in. Well, when you detail stuff, you don't want things that are standing out in the distance that are drawing people away from maybe your locomotives or a scene that's happening because it's kind of that toy look. When you take this beautiful picture and the wheels are still bright and shiny or the grill is still bright and chrome, um, that's just a little detail that you can add.
1: But it's a fine detail. You know, like, like you said, you don't want to draw them away. Going back to like that certain structures on my layout, I draw you into the layout and the trains and the yards and that you're not... Looking back at, you know, is is that a 64 Ford? Oh, look, there's a guy driving, you know, things like that. But I I agree with you. It's one of those things. What can I do in 15 minutes? And I can darken the grills. I can darken. I can can add dirt. Every car just didn't come out of the car wash, you know, especially where I'm in northern Minnesota. You're going to have red dirt on it. You can do
2: a lot to just sustain the illusion of what you're trying to create. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be exact. You know, I'll pick on my nikoms mill as an example by no means an exact model of the nikoms mill but when you look at it it captures the way the nikoms mill looks and it sustains the illusion on the layout it's not a generic grain elevator kit that I said well that's the Nicokoms mill because I said it's the nikoms mill uh, you know this was uh, you know it, it has the, the features and the and the profile of that mill and it's sh- it's built to fit the space I have, but it looks like it. And I think those are the, a lot of those little things like that. If you're willing to take an editorial eye to what you're doing, remove some things and add some other things, uh, you can do a lot to really, really plant your layout. And it's it's not it, you know it doesn't have to be. Well, I, I recreated every building in this particular town. You know, you don't have to do that, but you can do a lot to really make it feel like you're there.
1: And I think William, you did a wonderful thing too with that freight depot at the Hiawatha lot. And just with the photographs scaled out and then, you know, copied and pasted on the foam core with some 3D parts, the the one that Dan has is fabulous. And And you really have to look at it to realize it's just a photo. And that just brings you, it plants you. You know, it could be almost any era because that building's been there for how long, but it plants you in the, and you know in the Hiawatha just where, you know, you can show somebody even on a satellite. There it is. There's a satellite of that little depot that they use to this day for a commercial. I like that idea of you don't have to scratch build an exact photo mat. You know, now we have all this technology. You can print one out and have it stand in until you get to th-
3: and I think that's that's the case with a lot of the stuff that you have on your railroad. Sometimes it is just mock-ups that give you a look and a feel that get you to that point. Um, it might be setting up that building and saying, here's where it's going to be. This is how long it's going to be. Get a feel for it, maybe operate with it a little bit, and then eventually you know, finalize that structure. Um, but even going further on to along the rails and, and setting yourself for an arrow would be signals. I know it's not something everybody likes to do. But are they semaphore signals? Are they GRS? Are they USSNS? Are they a more modern Grim Reaper? What type of signal are you setting the scene with? Uh, I know Joe Binish, um, who's been on before, he's on his railroad. His are just toggles. It's basically, he calls them traffic lights. And how you flip the switches is how you can actually get your movements and gain access. It doesn't have to be the actual, you know, working, functioning, you know, CTC. I know I've worked on that on my dad's and it's about the most complicated thing I've ever attempted because getting (laughs) actual prototypical functioning, you're in a block, the switch is thrown, you got all the stuff that goes into getting the aspects to display correctly. That's a mind bender. And if that's not the road you want to run down, go down the road of traffic lights. It's all about the movements. Anyhow, I mean, you just have to understand the system that you're using to get stuff across your railroad.
1: Yeah, I think also how people use the control along with signals are you using timetable and train order? which seems to be a really hot topic but very along with ctc very difficult are you using track warrants track blocks and 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 so forth like that i you know this is the air i model this is what they did we're going to try and do it you know, this way, you know, here's, here's, here's your operator and here's your orders. That kind of sets the time too. It's kind of when the dispatcher hands you a sheet of paper, you know, that says extra, you know, Milwaukee road, you know, 215 run from here to here and meet this guy, meet, you know, okay. I know that's how we're doing it in the 50 versus Hiawatha line in 85 and modern. We're getting on a radio. Can I come back? Yeah. Come on back. <laughs> you know? And uh, so th- I think I think that sets the tone too. At your
3: that's exactly it. And I was going to say that um, the the operating method or system that you might use can you can arc back to that time. I know there are some guys that have physical phones that you have to actually pick up, just like you're at a call box to then make the call and say this is where I'm at. Hang it up. They tell you you know tell you where to go. Hang up the phone and then carry your train forward. Um car cards, car cards with way bills, you know the the different setups that a person might have. I always just say those are the game pieces, you're developing a game. And those are the game pieces that that owner is allowing you to use. And for some people, they think that, no, it's ridiculous. This is too much, you know, to deal with. I don't think it makes sense. But if you buy into it, go into it and buy into the fact that you're in the 1950s. Buy into it being the 1970s. If you buy into that and don't think, well, today they're actually just going off of the locomotive number, they never would have had train numbers. Well, we're in 1970 here. They did train numbers. So... The train number is what train you're running, not the locomotive number, because that might be what they're doing modern era. But this isn't the modern era. And you kind of have to buy into that a little bit to make it enjoyable. Yeah,
1: running GN 98 or 97. So let's kind of wrap this up. And what I'll ask each of you is that if someone has their layout and they're kind of, I don't want to use the word floundering, but they want to improve on this. What advice would you give them if they had kind of a layout and you looked at it and it was spaced, you could tell it was within 40 years and and maybe you knew what three states it was in. What kind of small advice or what starter advice would you give them to start making their layout, give their layout a time and a place? And I'll start with you.
3: My, my honest opinion would be is, is find an elder or find somebody from that era that could give you some of those little nuances some of the stuff that we talked about today whether it was the signs if it's vehicles uh, locomotives freight cars we know some of those can be somewhat predictable but find somebody that's from that era that can look back and say you know you don't have and add some of that type of flavor because i model i was five years old in 1985 my dad was 10 years old in 1970 he didn't necessarily know that exact time and era he roughly remembered it we can reference photos but I think some of the most, the most, the best information you can find out there a lot of times is from fellow modelers and especially the elder modelers that have been around and have seen a lot of this. That would be my take.
1: Dan, what would you give advice to someone trying to time and place their layout? It's a good question, actually. I, I,
2: I, I've got to hark back to that everything I learned in life, I learned in graduate school. The, the first and most difficult step was actually a backwards step to look at what I'd done and then start the process of saying, now, how do I edit this? What, what have I got that's good? What things really don't work? And to enjoy that fun process of figuring those things out, but having the courage and the discipline to say, oh, you know, I, I love that, but it, no, it doesn't fit if I want to model in this era and in this locale. So what do I do? Well, I'll have to start thinking about changing those. And we have wonderful resources, uh, senior modelers, just, you know, older people in general that can tell us about, you know, what was it like, you know, what what was this like? You know What did Minneapolis look, you know, for me, you know, I'm, I'm older, but I don't know, I never knew Minneapolis before 1981, when I moved here, so, you know, what do I know? There, there are so many of these things, the resources we can find in people, local historical societies, online, in books, magazine, using all of those resources to help us immerse ourselves in a particular era and then be able to move forward with that and work with that. And yeah, sometimes it means we're going to be pulling some stuff off our layouts that those don't really belong there. Then we're going to be putting on other things that do belong there. But I think the net result is more and more creating a much more cohesive model railroad that really does plant in, in locale and in era.
1: I agree. I agree with both you gentlemen. And I think resources are the thing you must try and find. I also, like you said, I would say, start small, like Dan was saying, remove something from either end of the age spectrum and either end of the location spectrum, start narrowing in your location and then, Removing the cars that are too old and the cars that are too modern, the freight cars, the auto cars. And I think, like you said, sustain the illusion. Greg Dahl brought this up last time that when you, as Bill's terms, as you screw in and nail down your time and and place, it increases the plausibility of your layout, if that makes sense. It's just something that, like, it's more enjoyable for me as an operator and a viewer going, okay, I get this. I'm in Winona in 1960 i'm in the hiawatha just in 1985 with my band all right gentlemen thank you thank you for your time and uh your participation and your wise
3: words well thank you tom we appreciate it it was a lot of fun
1: all right thank you Great as always tom all right Take good night guys. guys all right thank you
0: podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts.
1: all right thank you guys did you I'm glad you guys got enough to say i hope so, <laughs> well you, we hope
3: that it actually sounds sounds all right <laughs> we I, I
1: i will try and make you sound better thank you for your tips william i'm working on all of that this is such a new thing to me i'm just trying to make it
3: no absolutely like i said the I, only thing and dan sounded good tonight it might have just been i was listening to it through um through the car stereo right. so i mean right. i'm listening to it through a different you know listen to it right in my ears it might be a different story, but you guys sound good, Tom, or uh, Joe sounded great. I mean, like I joked that Joe sounded like Joe, whether that's yeah. a good or a bad thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him that. I'll tell him that. Yeah, I want to kind of have a a, a roving roundtable, you know, resources. I am so glad you could join, William, and so many other topics I want you to join in on, vehicles and, you know, anything DCC and, and layout building. And I want to, you know, have a whole staff of different guys rather than the same ones all the time so
3: no i totally agree i think it's good to have variety and yep. um i'm always game so just like you did today if you give a time and say okay. hey we're gonna hop on yep. um g- generally a little later is better but for if it works for you guys i'll make it work okay yeah
1: i know i don't want to interrupt weekends my schedule's worse so i'll later works for me if i'm not working and if you guys have a topic that you want to bring up let me know Sure. I'd be open to anything modeling. I want to do this podcast. Lionel does such a good job interviewing people. I don't want to do just interviews. Tom Barbele does a good job asking people what's on their workbench. I would like to have some topic driven discussion and we can have up to two or three topics, you know, as shiny objects per (laughs) podcast. And, and those are some of the good ones, but I would like to say, Hey, let's, let's discuss. 3d printing without going into how to do a 3d print let's talk about something
3: i like it i mean this this was a good diverging from you know a lot of the same traditional i I listened to the operating one and that was good because you guys are given different perspectives on the different styles of operations that are out there um a big part of it i always feel like and i kind of alluded to uh, before was it doesn't have to be this absolute this is the only way you can possibly do it yeah you've got so many like so much variety in the hobby. It doesn't have to be done in exact certain way oh. and I think that's that's what I get out of this i get I get the enjoyment out of seeing nineteen sixty nine I get enjoyment out of seeing how Dan's doing his roads and the way nikommus looks and no, it's not a one to one exact you know replication of Nicomis, but Daniel nailed it. it looks like it, and that's oh, the. Yeah. That's, i mean yeah. that's what we're going for
2: well, and you know well, one of the things I think. Uh, with, with talks like this, Tom and I have talked about this before. It's not as much a how-to, it's a why-to. And I think, you know, to me, I, I enjoy the, the, the kind of the conceptual rationale. Why, why, why would I do this? And, and uh, a lot of you, you, you've done this for me, Tom's done this for me, Greg's done this for me, where you know, I'll be thinking, oh, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily obsessing about how I'm going to do that, as much as why am I going to do that, and that that helps my my modeling when I have a context in which I'm working. And I think a, a lot of people do. They they you know they they design the kitchen sink layout, and it's got you know every possible <laughs> design element in the world, wow. And, wow. and you know they they've got four inches of 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 space on their layout that they haven't put anything yet. And what do they post? Hey, I've got four inches of space. What should I do with it? And Sometimes
3: I... nothing is better. Yeah, no. less. I'm a big less, less is, is more. more guy.
1: I'm a big less is.
3: Well, Tom, you adding in um the the what is it? The hot box. That little. Just adding a little thing like that. I mean, some people yeah. are like you know, you saw the comments. You know, why do you spend the time doing it? Why not? Why? Not? I mean, it exists. The guy, I think it's Arlen Teedle has the the scale that you actually weigh your cars on. Yeah. And <laughs> some guys are standing there going, "Oh, I don't don't. Oh, avoid that job. Don't go on that job. And I'll I'll take that job." Yeah. And, you know, he's like, okay, so he get and I, that was one of the most fun elements that was there because I used to work at General Mills and that's what we did. That's what you did. (laughs) You you knew the weights you had to, you know, some of that type of stuff to me, it's adding an element that is fun. And like I said, is you have to buy into it. If you're not going to buy into it and you're going to go in it with a cynical approach and think, well, it's stupid. I hate switching yards. Well, you're going to hate switching yards because you went into it thinking you're going to hate switching yards. Exactly. So how about you go into it and think. Boy, can I be as efficient as possible switching this yard? And now yeah. you've given yourself a challenge that says, like I said, I could have switched and and classified the little dots all day long. Your little, <laughs> the ore cars. I could have stood there for three hours and had no problem with it. Yep.
2: Well, look, look at like, uh, uh, Tom, who's the guy that does all the, uh, uh, the, the reefer stuff? Oh, Mike Jordan. Mike Jordan. It's like, oh my God, I had, <laughs> I, you know, my idea of reefers were, were you flare up a fan. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry.
0: That. Yeah, <laughs> no, like you know, Who's on drugs? Say, wrong
2: <laughs> reefer.
1: <You> wrong, <laughs> wrong reefer. Uh, yeah, park uh, it in front of the circus factory. And,
2: you, you know, know. know, I'm thinking, what do they do? Well, they put ice in them. <laughs> and they put produce in them. You know, I, I was, you know, about one one hundredth right. Yeah. Yes, they put ice in them. Yes, they put fruit in them. And they fumigate them. And they cool yeah. them. Yeah. And,
1: you know, and, and this. And clean, you know, that's, I don't know if you haven't been there, William, but Mike Jordan has a section of his layout where you, he does it, but everything's to the prototype. He's not making it up. Right. Where the right, he's got three types of reefers and you have to choose the right one. Then they got to be cleaned. Then they got to be pre-iced and pre-cooled and then fumigated and then loaded, then top. And, And all of this is prototype. He's not making it up. And you're moving. You go into this little switching area, and you're moving each car about five times. And you think I've lost my mind, but you—it's fun, and, it, and it's amazing because it's—it's uh, it's exactly the
2: way it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done. Which, which uh, you know, again, one one of my sayings is—is is, is I love nuance. I don't like nuisance. But,
1: <laughs> you know, if if it's, if if,
2: yeah. if those cars had to go through five steps to get on the road yeah. i'm fine with doing those five steps because i guess that's that's what railroading was back then
1: yeah i would love like arlen teetles what are you waiting i gotta weigh the coal you know the mine didn't weigh them they don't have front end loaders with built-in digital scales piling the stuff in there yeah right. i like i think like you said that's the, i like those little, i'm impressed when people do that enough to follow did his scale actually have like a little separate track
3: Yes. Well, so you did. You had to, you had to throw oh the switch. To, you had to throw the switch wow. to go oh. on the scale, but you did just flip a switch on that activated the scale. Very good. So if you left the switch on and you pushed it on either track, it was still weighing from a scale stand.
1: All right. It's kicking us off, guys. We'll talk more. I that miss sounds you. good. I miss both of you. William, Likewise. keep your family safe. Likewise. Dan, we'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Absolutely. You take care.
1: All right.
2: You guys take care. Good talking with you both. Yep. yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.